Okay, so before we start, let me make a little tefillah, Hashem, little prayer, Hashem, please help everything in this podcast run smoothly, so it would be a big kiddush Hashem for everybody. Amen. Amen. Welcome, Rabbi Kegel, to the podcast. My name is Yehuda Gian. I'm a grad student here at Baruch. I also work for NGO Hatred, which is an organization that works to fight anti-Semitism wherever it pops up. And I am here representing the from from birth half of the podcast. <laughs> Eitan Devarov over here. I'm a Baruch college senior right now, studying entrepreneurship and business. And I'm representing the Chazel Batshuva, Desh Balshuva side of the podcast. Nice to have you on. Okay, my pleasure. And I guess I, I'm not sure which side of the podcast I'm representing yet, but let's find out. You know, the, the night is young. <laughs> so that reminds me, you had previously told me about you being Balchuva, and uh, do you mind going into a little bit how that process happened? Sure. So I basically, first of all, thank you both for the opportunity to be here, and especially I think this is the first podcast. I'm humbled by this experience. Hopefully I will not embarrass you guys, and you will continue to do more podcasts with Hashem's help. Um, so, Hashem. Amen. So uh, every Balchuva, first of all, one of the things, I work for an amazing organization called Emmet, and we're stationed in Queens, but we do things in college campuses, in, really in the New York City area. And I've actually been in Baruch College since 2008, if you can believe it. So, yeah, that's very exciting. I feel like a piece of the furniture here, basically. This is really an amazing hill of Baruch with Ilya Bratman as the hill director. He's like literally doing a phenomenal job, Baruch Hashem. So, one of the things, first things I learned at Emmet is uh, RCO. Rabbi Kiva Runberg, so he said for every Jew to be to get closer to Hashem takes a village. So it's not like it's not one person, it's not one rabbi, it's not one speech, it's not one podcast. It's just so much has to go into it for anyone to really grow. And I think anyone now, if, if you're FFB, also has a lot has to go into it. You know, just to to keep you strong and steady. It's not Absolutely. it's not easy. You know, we're not robots. We're really uh, you know we're thinking free people. And so I'm gonna tell you like a little bit of my story. If you guys have any questions, feel free to ask. But you have to remember, every Jew has a big story and every Balshu has even a bigger story, okay? Basically, I guess my story really started when my parents brought me out of Russia in 1978. So I was about five and a half years old. In the former Soviet Union, it was not really so possible to be a religious Jew, so even a semi-religious Jew. And there, basically no FFBs over there, no from, from birth people. And then we came to America in 78, and we lived in, in a tough neighborhood, you know, because we were immigrants, we didn't have so much money, we lived in whatever, wherever the government sort of put us. And I don't know, like some rabbi knocked on our door and said, first thing they said, oh, have you had a Brit Milah? You know, and my parents were like, not exactly. And they're like, okay, we're taking him next week, let's go. <laughs> so I was like five and a half years old. So I, you know, I got a, a, a general anesthetic in case anyone's wondering. So they knocked me out completely. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm, I remember the, the event, you know, before and after the knockout, of course. My mom said when I came home, she said, how was it? I said, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing you don't have to. <laughs> right. So then also because we lived in a bit of a rough neighborhood, another rabbi knocked on the door and said, listen, you know, why don't you send him to Yeshiva? Like you can't exactly send him to the public school over here. And so I went to a modern Orthodox day school for kindergarten, first grade and second grade. And I was backing that up with going to Gan Israel Chabad day camp. 
Okay, so I, again, I was not like, I just didn't know anything about anything and like really being religious was not so much in, in my consciousness. So I also, uh, I also did the same. I went for uh, pre-K, kindergarten, first grade to a yeshiva. And then in addition to that, I went to like a Chabad type of program afterwards for a few years. So right. interesting to see the right. So there. Right, because again, it's like it's taking a village for everybody. And basically also on top of that, like almost every Balchuva, certainly for the last 40, 50 years, there's like some kind of Chabad involvement because they're like, <laughs> they're, it's just almost impossible. Yeah, they've not done to an be, amazing job. Yeah. They really have. They're like out there and they're really help, you know, they're helping the wayward son and daughter, so to speak. So then... We moved to a nicer neighborhood, and then I went to regular public school for third grade through college. And then I went to Hebrew school to my bar mitzvah, but it was conservative Hebrew school. Basically, it was just like, once you're done with your bar mitzvah, you're like, I'm out of here. I never, I never want to do anything like this again. And it's really a shame that there's some Jewish movements out there that don't really give people a reason to to enjoy Judaism. It's just like, okay, you know, so, oh, we have to do it. And so 95% of the people wind up quitting the movement after Bar and Bar Mitzvah, which is really an epic failure when you think about it, because that's when you're really supposed to just get going. To be fair, some, I guess, good thing about it is at least they get them to Bar and Bar Mitzvah. There are definitely a lot of people who, without those movements, may not have even gotten there. A hundred percent, and I, I'm very happy, and I also learned how to read Hebrew, which was you yeah. know, going to be a big big part of my process once I decided to become religious. But at the same time, there's just something to be said about, I'm not talking about religious-wise, right? I'm yeah. just talking about like, let's make it exciting. Let's make it something that people want to do past bar bar mitzvah. You know, like, that's all I'm mentioning. And um, when I graduated from high school, I went to college. Okay, and again, like, I just, I'm not really thinking about Judaism past, like, Russia Shut and Yom Kippur. I don't know why those days were important, but like, those days were important, and the rest of the year was not super important. So then I got into a very bad car accident when I was 20 years old. And I'm not going to go into the whole story, but basically is there's about a one and a half percent chance of not of me living. There's a one and a half percent chance of me making it to the hospital. Okay. And then because I had a torn aorta and then like once I made it to the hospital, it was like even more miraculous that, you know, the, doctor, the, the doctors, right doctor the, right, the right doctor was there at the right time, and this was 93, so here I am almost 30 years later. Baruch Hashem. I'm so thankful to Hashem. And uh, meanwhile, my parents, my father's already growing towards Judaism, and then after the accident, he said he's going to be even more committed. He was going to be committed anyway, but he's like going to be a, a million percent committed, you know. So he, he held true to his word. And, but I, you know, I just basically was living the same life. He didn't push me in any way, shape or form. When I did graduate from college, so this was like a big moment, I got a copy of the Art Scroll Stone Kumash. So I had taken a college course called Great Books where we studied basically the Torah, like a literally work, like other great books. So, you know, it wasn't such a great book if you take Hashem out of it. So, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Did you ever feel that way? It's like, you know, Hashem creates people, then he destroys them, and then... To be fair, a lot of, a lot of great stories in Bereshit. Right. For sure, there's a lot of great stories in Bereshit, but if you take Hashem out of it, it doesn't, even, doesn't really even make for a good children's book. So, then, I started reading this article from us with a good translation and with commentaries. And that opened so many things up for me. And then finally, when I got to Deuteronomy chapter 32, 
and the studio audience could read that on their own. But basically, it said there that wherever the Jewish people were going to go, we're going to become successful. And when we become successful, we're going to forget about Hashem. We're going to forget about God. When we forget about God, then our enemies are going to come to try to destroy us. And then at the end of the day, Hashem saves us and our enemies are destroyed. Now I'm reading this in the late 90s. So we're talking about like the communists, may their names be erased, they're gone. The Nazis, may their names be erased, they're gone. All the other people for the past two millenniums have tried to, be, to kill us, also gone. And I'm like, we're still here. And now also mentioned that we're gonna go back to the land of Israel. So I was like, no one but God could have made this bold statement 2000 years ago. You know, because even though the Torah is more than that, but even the most secular people agree that it is a 2,000-year-old document. So who would have known that besides Hashem? So I said, you know what? Hashem wrote the Torah, not a bunch of guys. Thank you, Hashem, for giving me that opportunity to open my eyes like that. And thank you to uh, Rabbi Artscroll for uh, having such a good English translation, a good commentary. And then I said to myself, you know, I, I, I want to be part of, the, of this group. If I'm Jewish, you know, this must be a great set of laws. And I, I think I'm going to really enjoy them. Now, most people do not feel that this set of laws of the Torah is something that's going to be enjoyable. Now, do you guys know why they don't feel that way? What would be your first guess? They think of it as too restrictive. Right, restrictions. And what do you say, uh, our FFP friend? <laughs> to me, it's, I mean, at least from the from, from birth perspective, the most boring part about it was, I already know this. Right. Right, okay, so that's like a, right, so that, that's a, we're coming from a whole different, like, too restrictive perspective. So for me, I just grew up with a more athletic background and somehow was drilled into me in my youth. No pain, no gain, and like restrictions is really the real way to success and discipline set you free and all the other good stuff that you find out when you try to be an athlete. So I looked at restrictions as not something that's going to be negative, but it's something that's going to really get me to achieve my goals. So, and I didn't know what was really in the Torah so much. I knew there were some food restrictions and I was like very into like working out then and food restrictions. So I, was, and I said, I'm sure there's a lot of restrictions in there. Right now I'm just doing a little restrictions on my own self and that's good. If, I, if the Torah has a lot of restrictions, it's gonna be great. So <laughs> most people don't feel that way and I really try to get people a little bit more excited about restrictions as part of my life and make them realize, hey, if you wanna achieve anything in any business or even in school, if you don't restrict, what are you gonna do? The only thing that's non-restrictive is like watching football and eating potato chips. Success, holiness, any of that just exists within boundaries, within restrictions. Right, right, for sure. And you have to be willing to go through short-term suffering in order for long-term results. And that's true whether it's religion or regular life. Armed with that amazing thought, I was around 23, 24 years old. And so now the next thing I needed is I was all alone because I had... I guess my parents were, my father's religious, my mom was going that direction also, but my friends were like my high school buddies, some of my college friends, they were like completely not interested. A lot of them weren't even Jewish. I said, okay, I gotta, I need friends. Like you can't, you know, man is not meant to be alone. You need friends to go through this journey with. And that's why I'm so happy that in Baruch and in other college campuses, there's pillows where people can conjugate and meet and have other friends to go on their journey with. And one of the things we really try to do at Emmet is we call them Emmet friends. We try to create Emmet friends through our programs where people may not know each other otherwise, but then through the programs, they really become friendly with people and they can grow on the journey together. And then it, it really is. And so a lot of people find their relatives on the program as well, especially if we're dealing with uh, you know, the Sephardi population and we're somehow related. It's definitely nice to see that you're somebody who was Balchuva and then took it a step further and almost made it your life's work to help other people within that same process. 
Right, that was a whole big jump. Like obviously you didn't start off doing that, but although I always had the mentality that if you find out something great for yourself, you have to share it with others. Somehow like my parents like really instilled that in me that you don't want to just be greedy and keep this information for yourself. No, I will not share. If you find out something awesome, so share it with everyone else, anyone that's living to, willing to listen. And that's really one of the reasons why I wound up marrying my wife because she also had a big passion for helping the Jewish people and wanting to work with the Jewish people. And we, we really have been able to do that together for the last 15 years. But there's a, lot of, there's a lot of steps in between that I went from realizing that Shem wrote the Torah and then going to Israel to get a friend group and then moving to the Upper West Side, meeting my wife, and then losing a couple jobs, winding up in Kolel and studying to become a rabbi somewhere in 2005, 2006, and then getting my big break with Olami and, and working for Emmet in 2008. But that basically, that's my story in a nutshell. The most exciting thing about just having a story is that when you share with others, it inspires them. And then that's what I've been trying to do. I've been wanting to share my experiences with others, and not in a pushy way, but just like presenting information and be like, hey, this is like such an interesting way to live you don't know so much about it why don't you find out some information so you can make a decision for sure part of the reason why we're starting this podcast what's your goal with the podcast if i can switch things around since this is episode one i'm looking at (laughs) yes it is episode one of the podcast and basically our goal here is to one just spread more torah there's lots of other things out in the world and we want to brighten up the world a little bit right and but more more specifically as Zaytan was telling you earlier before the podcast, that we really want to learn with the audience. So there's a lot of podcasts where a rabbi will read and translate from a book right. or will expound on a certain idea. But we really like this model of having a back and forth with multiple people. And then the audience hopefully will feel like they're joining in on a class rather than listening to a lecture. Right. Wow. Especially since Yehuda is FFB and I'm in the Chosel B'Tshuva process. I feel like we're able to provide two different perspectives of learning with the rabbi who's on. So that's really, we want to have an almost all-encompassing perspective of learning with whatever rabbi we have on as a host. That's great. And by the way, one of the things that's amazing in Judaism is I never say like, oh, I'm teaching. I always say I'm learning, even though I may be the one that's doing a little bit more pulling because we're always learning together. So the, the language is, no, even if it's like an eight-year-old Talmud Chacham and a kindergartner, it's like, oh, I'm, let's learn. No one says, oh, let me teach you, because it's really about always learning and growing. That's beautiful. Yeah. Also, in terms of podcasts, people learn so much from podcasts. Like, I know I've listened to many podcasts, and they've inspired me and really helped me become who I am. Let's segue a little bit to our next section, which we're going to be learning a, a specific pasuk, specifically from Pilkei Avot, so you, Rabbi you, Kegel. You like me to read it? Okay, yes. so, so we're talking, this is a Mishnah on Pilkei Avos, uh, in Perik, looks like Perik Aleph, Mishnah Yudalid. I, I have the writing here, it's not like I memorized it. So it's talking about Hillel, right? So it says, Hu Haya Oymer. So Hillel used to say, Im Ani if I am not for myself, who am I? Okay. But if I'm only for myself, what am I? Beautiful. And if not now, when? 
Okay, very good. So just in terms of the first thing I do when I say per cavos, because usually they say like three to four to five things on each uh, Mishnah, each teaching. And so the first thing I do is I say, what's the Tzad HaShavah What do they have in common? Because it could not, usually, like one or two of them seem to have something in common. But if you're like a, ever like a kid and saying, what doesn't belong? One of the things, always like, what is that doing here? And of course, it's not there for no reason. It's there for a specific purpose. So, I, by the way, I don't have an answer right now, like what all three I mean, things they have in common. So we can really learn it together. First thing that hits my head is just stylistically, it seems like it's an if not, then this. And if not, then this. And if not, then this. So if I'm not for myself, who will be for me. If I'm only for myself, then what am I? And if not now, then when? So it's like an if-then type repetition, just stylistically. Reminds you of the LSATs? <laughs> Logic games? Right. Those. Right, but it couldn't, it, I, I hear that, and yeah. I'm not disagreeing with your premise, but it, that could not be, that's all they're trying to say. Oh, no, of course not. If you don't mind, I'd like to take that a step further. And... I think that the reason that Hillel is using this style, I mean, this is off the top of my head, I haven't seen this in a book anywhere, but I think that the reason Hillel is using this style is because he wants to contrast something that maybe was a popular mindset in his time period of saying, of people were, maybe people were very much only thinking about themselves, or maybe people were very much pushing things off. So he was telling them, if you're only for yourself, what exactly are you? If you're, if you, if not, if you're not going to do it now, then when are you going to do it? So it seems almost that he's contradicting two extremes. He's saying, if you're only for yourself, who are you? If, if you're, you're not for yourself, if you're not for yourself, who's going to be for you? If you're only for yourself, who are you? So he's taking almost two different extremes, and showing that you should be in neither. The answer seems to be in the middle between them. And back to the what doesn't fit, it seems if not now, then when, doesn't seem like it fits directly. The other two you can see... Besides for the linguistic uh, stylism that exactly, uh, Yehuda the, pointed out. the linguistic stylistic uh, aspects, it seems like they don't really connect right away. So, Right. So I want to just to Yehuda to just add a little bit of what you're saying, is you have to remember Perkyavos is timeless. So what you're saying, yes, in Hill's day is true, but right now it's also true. Like if you're only for yourself... Like, who are you? And if you're not for yourself, who's going to be for you? And if not now, when? You know, it's true right now. The only thing that makes it into chazals, really, are things that are timeless. Anything that's, like, time-sensitive, so to speak, they just didn't put in. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah, because there there's 48 recorded prophets, and, but there were thousands of prophets. They had, like, all prophecy schools. There were so many people who were able to prophesize through a lot of diligent hard work. But they said they only recorded the ones that are applicable to them. They're going to be applicable for all time. Perkyavos, the same thing. This is applicable right now. Okay, so where are we holding? So the first, let, let's start with the first things first. How do we understand this? If I am not for me, who will be for me? So what's the, you know, that sounds like almost, that's a good saying. Like almost anyone could say that. You, if, you don't, <laughs> if you don't watch out for what's yourself, <laughs> right, so if you don't watch out for yourself, who's going to watch out for you? Right, what's the Kiddush? Do you want to translate that for our studio oh, audience? The studio audience who didn't grow up from, what's the Kiddush means, what's new about this statement? It's asking, why is this a novel idea that needed to be written down? Right. And meanwhile, everything in Perkyavos needed to be written down for a reason. Right. But what do you say? Why, why should we write down, yeah, if, if I'm not for me, who's going to be for me? 
It sounds like something I I remember just from being from the former Soviet Union, like the first traditional toast was always like zanas, to us. So it's like this almost like innate thing that like you have to look out for yourself if you're a healthy person. And Perkyavos is really for healthy people. It seems like within Judaism, there's an idea of almost selflessness to some degree. And maybe some people within the time and even today took it a step far. Some people may be so selfless that instead of just giving 10% or 20%, they may give 50% or 100% of their income. And at that like point... Like Warren Buffett. <laughs> uh, debatable. So by giving away all of it, you're not for yourself. So who's going to take care of you if you're not taking care of yourself? Well, if we go a step further, some people may look at a completely secular mentality and say, if I'm only for myself, if I'm selfish, what is the meaning of my life? You know, like, what am I doing here? So it's showing, I guess, that it's not this ideology of you have to do nothing for yourself, which would maybe be the theoretical religious perspective. If you know somebody was asked off the street, that's probably how they would look at a religious perspective. You're not supposed to do anything for yourself. It's completely selfless. But also not the secular mentality of it's only for me. So it creates this balance, this harmony between the two. Right. So that, that's how I see that. Right, and knowing you pretty well, this fits very well into your frame of thinking because you're very concerned about extremes, as most people should be. Yeah. It's just other people are not as concerned as you are. Right, and you said it so beautifully, I feel, that if you're saying, if you're going to be like, okay, I'm not for myself, like it's everything's Hashem, everything's other people, then who are you? If you don't do any self-care, you're not going to have anything, you're not going to be able to give anything to anyone else. It's sort of like on the airplane, God forbid if anything happens, you have to put your oxygen mask on before your kid's oxygen mask because you're not going to be able to help, you want to help your kid first, but you're not going to be able to help them if you're not there to help them. I really like that comparison. <laughs> right. Okay, so I think we learned that in rabbinical school somewhere. You can't be so selfless, but at the same time, if you're just thinking about yourself, which is another great human tendency, then who are you? Like, that's not what you're here to do. You're here, like we mentioned before, share with others, invite Hashem into the world. And I think, especially as Jews, we are given a, a specific job by God to be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. We were supposed to be the light unto the nations. and. Not from a point of we're better than anyone, but we've been given a job to bring God's Torah out into the world. We've been, right. And part of that job is that we can't only be thinking about ourselves because we have a greater responsibility to the whole world. That's how I've always seen that part. Right. Like it's a charge right. to every Jew. But at the same time, if you're not taking care of yourself, then you're Absolutely. not going to be able to help anyone else either. Okay, very good. So now for the $64,000 question or with inflation prices for the $125,000 question. Um, <laughs> why we say if not now, when? What, like, what does this have to do with the other two things? Well, I think that once we've established, okay, I can't only be for myself and I, can't also, I also can't be thinking about others or relying on God to take care of things for me all the time. Right. So, but, but once we've established that, then maybe, maybe the person might say, oh, you know, I'm going to start caring about other people tomorrow. But for right now, I'm too tired. I don't have the energy to think about other people. But you know, later, later, tomorrow morning, I'll, right. wake up, I'll wake up better. It'll be better. Diet starts tomorrow. Right. That's the so first, I, I right. think that, Sunday. you know, taking that part and uh, putting it in conjunction with the first two is basically saying that this is not something that you can turn on and off. This is something that has to be every moment of every day. Finding this balance between those two extremes is basically, it's an every moment of the day challenge. So you could actually look at that as an extreme also. 
it starts now. So I think that there's a misconception to some degree that when it says, if not now, when, it doesn't mean, uh, if not now, keep everything Jewishly, when. It means, if not now, take your first step. That's the way I see it, at least, because if, you're, if we're talking about not living in extremes, you're presenting potentially another extreme. So the way that this comes across is it's not necessarily, it almost feels like a constant growth, right? That, that's how I interpret it, at least. Right. Okay. I think there's definitely some artistic license over here. I mean, until we read the commentators and see what our <laughs> rabbis say. And then, but there's 70 interpretations to Torah, and some say 600,000 interpretations. Every person has their own way to explain things. And this is like real Torah. And I'm really enjoying learning with you guys, but I don't have this great answer why I think we answered one and two really great, like how they fit and it's so beautiful and keep that balance. But I don't really have this awesome answer of like, if not now, when? What does it really have to do with the other two? I like what you're saying. That's like the, you know, sort of the extreme in me. So you got to go for it, you know, get, get your bearings on. It's like sort of like the, the FOB, like Davai, Davai means let's go in Russian, like the let's go approach. And then I, I also love like uh, Ethan's approach, you know, where we're talking about really don't think like you have to do it all if you don't do it now, when, but meaning like just take your first step. It's not all or nothing. So uh, yeah, so then uh, it's a really beautiful interpretation. Like the way to balance is to realize it's not all or nothing. It feels almost like this line, the other two balance each other out it feels like the last line is almost two lines that balance each other out also, if that makes sense. Can you draw a diagram? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Oh. We'll post one when we post the podcast. Glean out there. Wow. Okay, beautiful. All right, so let, let's recap. And then, and then I just I want to teach you something that, like how I try to learn things, especially Perkyavos. Please correct me if, if I'm not saying it the way we learned it. So the first... If I am not for me, who will be for me? So that is saying that we cannot just say, okay, throw our hands up. Whatever it will be, will be. No, we have to take care of ourselves. We have to make sure that we're looking out for ourselves in order for, but not for no purpose, not just for ourselves, but in order to help us look out for others. And that's why we like the analogy of the person putting on their oxygen mask before their child, not God forbid, because of course they want to help their child, but they can't help their child if they don't help themselves first. Do you think they teach Pilkeavot at, uh, at uh, <laughs> flight attendant school? <laughs> Anything's possible. Maybe pilot school, they definitely should. Okay. And then the last part is when we're saying, it's if not, not now, now, when. So on one hand, means the, let's, get, let's get going. Do not wait for, you just start moving on this beautiful balancing act right away. And, but if the second part is don't feel like it has to be all or nothing, even if you just move, if just when, just move a little bit, it's good. And so what I wanted to ask you guys, and you don't necessarily, and the studio audience, is this teaching, what can you do right now, a little step, if not now, when, but not <laughs> everything, what's a little step you could do right now to get yourself more in that direction? We don't have to answer this, just a food for thought. Because when you're learning, especially Pergavos, you have to walk away with, okay, what's a little something I'm going to do to improve my life after learning something so beautiful? So how would you say we take this into our practical lives over the next Oh, week? that's really the, unbelievable. I was mechaven to your question. This was, you may have sent me the questions and I may not have looked at them, but this was amazing. Oh, no, we, we, we wrote this like minutes before the Okay, podcast. great. Great. Wow. We're really like the Bitachon, synergy here. Everything will work out. The, everything's <laughs> right. 
right? As everything's, Hashem's always in charge and Hashem's guiding everyone, especially if you make a little tefillah before. So that's what I'm, first thing you have to do, how do we bring whatever we're discussing into our lives on a practical level? So it starts with the fact that you have to remember when you're learning, you have to bring it down to the practical level, even before you start. So, and I'm glad you have this at the end, and I want to just instill it to everyone's mind in the beginning also. So now in this particular case, like what I would suggest, this is like really it's like a layup, right? So it's something where you're taking care of yourself, right, for the purpose of helping other people, but you just haven't started yet. So let's start it now, even if you're not going to complete it necessarily, if not now, when? So let's say it's something we could do that will be able to help you, but help other people better starting that off so make a plan to start something this week that's going to be able to help you help yourself in order to help others do you have a good example of something along those lines well let's give like some general examples if someone's in for health or fitness if someone wants to you know especially as they get older you young kids everything's always fit in your world but once you get over 25 30 35 40 some people are like almost 50 already so if you're not taking good care of yourself physically so you're going to really not going to be able to take care of those around you for as long as you'd like to so some, starting something like that like now then can i make a shameless plug for the why not you can visit the we have uh, programs available for fit want to be fit jews everywhere and semi-fit Jews who want to be even more fit Jews. Yes, those do the best because they at least know they There's already know what they're doing. That's a really good, easy way to help yourself in order to help others and start now. And another thing, if is, let's say we can always do a little better in our spiritual work. So if we want to learn a little bit more, but not learn a little bit more just for myself, learn a little bit more in order to give over to other people, in order to strengthen my relationship with Hashem, in order to improve my mitzvah observance. So you could start that, let's start, start now, and then get going, but not just to help yourself, but to help others. Just two quick examples, Ruchnias and Gashmias. <laughs> and what do you guys think? Well, I think those two are very good examples. For me, again, this is probably a little bit from from birth talking, but uh, we really need to help this. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've uh, I've always I've always been educated that adding in ruchnius, which is spirituality, for those listening at home, adding in ruchnius is actually what adds to the gashmias. So, you know, if you're the type of person who doesn't love going to minion and usually walks in five minutes late come on time every day for a week and just see if it makes a little bit of a difference. And I, I think that also influences your gashmias because just creating the habit of coming to something on time, making something important and routine actually helps the human brain put things in boxes a lot easier. I think you'll be more focused throughout the day. Right. I love that. I love the way you said for a week. And can I take you on that challenge? Even though I actually like going to Minion, I also like coming a few minutes late. So that's my <laughs> safari side. I like the way you said it. Try this for a week and see, maybe you'll even like it more. So I'm committed to coming on time to Minion for the next week until it takes us back till next Tuesday. And I feel like that's, even though you didn't know I was struggling with this, but that's like a personal challenge. So let's see, with Hashem's help, Lee Netter, for the next week, all things like with Hashem's help, I'm gonna come on time to Minion and I'll see if maybe I'll like Minion even more if I'm actually showing up a, a few minutes early or on time rather than a few minutes late. So for me, the last part of if not now, when is something I've been struggling with. Oftentimes in my head, I've, I've built something up, it's so difficult and I wouldn't even take the first step. So currently I'm only keeping three hours between dairy and meat. I went from zero hours between meat and dairy. I mean, I went from zero hours to now three hours. 
and I've wanted to continue to grow in that. For a very long time, I feel like I've stagnated. So, again, Belina there, I'm going to go to four hours. I'm going to take that step of, if not now, when? I'm now going straight to six hours, which is where I'm going to want to be. But if not now, when? I'm going to start today. Bizrat Hashem, Beautiful. Four hours. And by the way, that's not easy for a Bukharan guy who has meat for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> this is true, this is true. <laughs> okay. Rebecca Eagle, Eitan, thank you so much for doing this podcast. We hope to have you on again. We hope to have many more rabbis on. Yes. Oh, man. This was so fun. This is, I like the forum that we were really all learning together. And I think that if you keep the questions away from the rabbis, they don't have time to prepare. So it'll make it even more of a learning process. You won't get any more propaganda. Right. Okay. It was stylistic. Right. All right. Okay. All right. Awesome. God bless you guys. Keep up the good God work. Bless you too, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity.